With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. Bless your boys podcast, bringing you the week in baseball news from a Detroit Tigers perspective. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let us get the show on the road. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. We've got a special guest for you tonight. We've got Alex Fast, who's vice president of The Pitcher List, one of my favorite sites, which is devoted mainly to pitching and fantasy baseball. Alex, how are we doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks so much for having me. You guys do fantastic work over there at Bless You Boys as well, and it's, uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Very, very glad to have you in. Um, it was a, kind of a kind of a fun day for Tigers fans. We we liked spring training quite a bit. You know, watching guys hit home runs. We missed that during the regular season. Oh man, between Demerit and, and Mickey going back to back twice, and then literally <laughs> having every major prospect pitch for you not necessarily effectively but that's that's kind of exciting yeah yeah we were missing uh, Tarek Skubal and that was about it so yeah it was that's uh, it yeah that's about as good as it gets these days so yeah <laughs> um could you tell me a little bit before we get started I, I just kind of want to talk about the picture list like where you guys um kind of got the idea for it and and kind of what the goal is and and you know all that kind of stuff yeah, sure. So, so Pitchless started a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago. Nick Pollock is the creator, CEO, founder. Uh, he started a few years ago when it was just pitcher gifts, and it was just a bunch of gifts of pitchers. Um, and then it's just kind of grown exponentially over the past couple of years. Nick took me on probably four years ago. I just reached out to him based on a Reddit post, and we kind of clicked. And we were both in New York, uh, New York City. We're both in Brooklyn. And uh, we met up and I said, well, I'd like to, you know, would you ever think about starting a podcast? And he said, sure. So we started a podcast together. And yeah, we, we've, we kind of mostly started out with pitching um, and then it kind of grew from there. And we just launched uh, PitcherList 5.0 over at PitcherList.com, which has uh, really kind of, we're trying to give you as much content as we could possibly give you about every single format that you can think of, uh, Dynasty stuff, 12-teamers, 15-teamers, Roto. Um, we're trying to do a little bit better with Points League stuff. Nick releases top 100 pitchers every single week. I'm releasing top 100 pitchers maybe once a month. Um, we have a podcast called On the Corner uh, that we do every Tuesday where we're exclusively talking about pitching, but we also have one called On the Barrel where we exclusively talk about hitting. Uh, if people are interested too, they can always join, uh, become a PL Plus member, um, and you get like access to our Discord, and we can help you with your drafts and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, mostly like what we want to be is just a site that is for all kinds of different people, people who are just breaking into fantasy baseball. We have a whole fantasy one-on-one series so you can learn about it. And then the people who are on, you know, baseball savant every single day talking about X Woba and Woe bacon and stuff like that. Um, the biggest thing for me is just like, I, I, I want people to feel safe to ask any question that they can. Like, you know what I mean? I, there's so many new metrics out there and I feel like so many baseball fans kind of feel like, 
a little left behind. And we, we want to have like a very safe place where people can talk about those things. I love it. Yeah. And I mean, there, I think sometimes like when, it, when a site promotes itself as like having, you know, a, a fantasy orientation to sometimes people that'll, that'll put regular baseball fans off. And I'd also like to just make the point that, yeah, no, nobody needs to be playing any fantasy to get tons out of the site. Like you guys have so many good writers there now, um, the variety of content, um, including the podcasts, you know, the giffage that you guys produce, all that stuff has been fantastic. So yeah, it's Thanks, a, man. it's a big, uh, big resource for a lot of us. I know who, who are writing about anything in baseball, not just, yeah, about pitchers or, um, my kind of main obsession with the game, which is definitely pitching. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Cause we, we, it really, it really kind of makes us feel really good to hear you say <laughs> stuff like that. So we appreciate it. Oh, sure thing. And yeah, it is nice to kind of have a spot where people feel like they can ask these questions without looking stupid because unfortunately, you know, Twitter can turn into into fights and you, you say something you didn't mean to say or you don't know something and you can just get reamed over the coals by a whole bunch of random people. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit competitive out there sometimes. Totally. So yes, it's nice to just be able to learn, learn from a place. 100%. Yeah, that's that's what we're all about. We're not like we're kind of like the anti hot takes site. We're not really into that. We're into like, hey, let's just all learn about these guys together and see what's uh, what's interesting and what's not. Yeah, and I, I really like those the kind of rolling top 100 lists. Um, that, that's just a cool feature, because if you're, you know, if you can't follow the whole league easily, like just just checking on that and seeing why guys are moving up and down and, and kind of getting an idea will really, really help anybody as they get ready for their fantasy drafts. But yeah, also all through the season. So, yes, very cool stuff over there. Um, yeah, let's just kind of get into the Tigers a little bit. I mean, you know, the pitching staff last year was uh, was the high point. Um, they weren't terrible um, in terms of FIP. I think we ended up at like 4.84 overall as a staff for the year um, by the various war metrics somewhere just beyond middle-ish. Um, and obviously the bats were terrible. Um, do, do you foresee any signs that the pitching staff um, will be a little bit more solid in general this year? I do. Um, I do. I, especially when it comes to, to, to Matthew Boyd, who, who we are big fans of. Um, uh, you know, we, we call ourselves Boyd Boys, how <laughs> silly that is. Uh, I'll let you guys decide. I think this year really is kind of more Boyd's to men, though, because I think this is the year that he really takes a step forward. Um, he, he's such an exciting guy to watch. And last year, obviously, his first half, he kind of broke out into the scene. He became not just fantasy relevant, but a pitcher that people were kind of talking about in the industry. Um, and that was really exciting to see, you know, kind of attacking hitters with this fastball up and this slider down following what we like to call the Blake Snell blueprint. Yeah. Um, and this past year, he went to driveline um, and he's going to integrate this, this change up that I think is going to be a really big piece for him personally. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, I've actually been working on a Boyd preview myself and, you know, I think back to when he came to Detroit, you know, and the, the fact that, you know, of Daniel Norris and Michael Fulmer and Matt Boyd, he was, you know, decidedly the, the third man out um, at that point, at least in terms of how people regarded him. You know, he's a big guy. He's got the frame, um, had decent velocity for a lefty, was more like 91, 92 back then. Um, but even in 2016, you know, that was the year he dropped down to that, you know, much lower um, angle. Like, if I think back to what he even looked like in 2015, I can barely remember it because I, I remember watching him the first couple of outings and just thinking like, nah, you know, this this just isn't going to play. This yeah, is like, this ain't it. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, yeah, to see someone, you know, like every step of the way, like changed his arm angle um, that that radically, like you won't even see guys be willing um, to make a change that drastic in their career until they're, you know, kind of at their last 
their last legs. And that year he had a great changeup. Um, in the summer when they finally called him up, it was just fastball changeup basically the whole way. Didn't have that slider yet. And the changeup was, was really good, which gives me a lot of confidence that he understands. He's got the feel. And we both know, um, you know that there aren't too many guys more invested in, in technology and the modern, uh, modern metrics being used to train pitchers than Matt Boyd is these days. Yeah, yeah, totally. Listen, we were fortunate enough to to talk to him uh, a couple of days ago or last week at spring training. And for for anyone who's listening, um, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, and uh, <laughs> that doesn't apply to Matthew Boyd because he is truly the the kindest guy I've I've ever met. Like he was just <laughs> so incredibly genuine and kind. Uh, and we had this interview with him that just came out yesterday. And you, you know, to echo the points that you were just making, you're right. He's very interested in what's going on mechanically with himself. He's very for using technology um, for for working to get his his body in a good place. He was talking about his foot placement um, and you know unlocking some velocity as a result of that foot placement. So you love to hear that, right? You love to hear about. And, and he knows, you know what I mean. He knows that he. Got got beat with that fastball a lot you know he said that he lived by the sword and died by the sword last year he knows what his issues are and last year we just kept screaming like why doesn't he bring <laughs> that change it back why doesn't he bring that change it back but now that he has first of all i mean you probably watched that at bat um against um dj lemayhew a couple days ago where he used that change up and i almost like punched nick in the face i got so excited <laughs> i mean that thing was gorgeous because now he's sitting 93-94, although it came down to 92-93 over the course of the game, but then coming in with an 81-mile-an-hour changeup in that exact same spot low and away, and guys are just flailing at it. If he can do that, man, there's really another level for him that wasn't there last year. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, he was playing like a brilliant game of checkers last year, and if he can add, yeah, if he can add the changeup, um, it'll be chess real fast on people. Um, you know, we watched like, it was like the first two months, um, you know, he'd, he'd changed the fastball. He's one of the, one of those guys, you know, you, I, I like to think of him almost in terms of Trevor Bauer because Trevor Bauer went through this whole litany of progression and, and learning, um, uh, almost by himself, you know, before he really even got to the league. And we've kind of gotten to watch Matt Boyd sort of play it out, um, in real time, right in front of us with StatCast data. Um, so he's just been, I mean, from that perspective, so much fun to watch as well, but you know, increased his spin rate last year, which is something that, you know, Trevor Bauer kind of likes to say isn't something that, you know, that guys can really do without, you know, the aid of Pintar or something like that. He has, he's not unequivocal about it, but, um, you know, to see him do that and to build the velocity in, it's just been, you know, one excellent, you know, development um, per year, basically. And yeah, coming out in 2018 with that totally rebuilt slider was just eye-popping. So to think, to, to talk about him in breakout terms now, after what seemed like two major breakouts, you know, prior to this, based on the arm slot and then based on developing that slider, um, it's just wild. And I, I totally agree. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I mean, you see what he, um, the project that he has going in Uganda um, to, yeah. to help um, the victims of sex trafficking there. Um, and, you know, and just presents himself definitely as a very, you know, very nice guy. And I have no doubt that he is, but he also has, you know, you can kind of feel that hockey player mentality from him on the mound as well. I remember him plunking uh, Miguel Sano in a game with the Twins where there was a little bit of a beanball, you know, war going on. And M Miguel Sano came out of the box like he was going to charge the mound and Matt Boyd walked straight down the mound and basically put his hands out like, come at me, bro. <laughs> 
That's first of all, I I don't think in a million years I would ever do that to Miguel Sano of no. all people. That's terrifying. But it's so funny that you say that too, because like so when when we when you know when we met him, that's kind of what I was expecting. Something a little more gruff. You know what I mean? I know he has that fantastic charity, but I was expecting, you know, something a little different. And then he was like, Hey man, how you doing? I was like, <laughs> I'm I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> like, yep. Yep. Super friendly, you know, and and you know, and the other thing too is is kind of watching the swag develop because um, it's really you know sure. just been in the last year you know the, there's the brim of the cap the way he's got that cut you know there's the high you know the high socks always now um, the swagger has started to be there and now we've seen him kind of take the you know the step into really being kind of a James Shields type like leader in the clubhouse you know he took Tarek Skubal and Daniel Norris both the drive line this year he's obviously been going for years um, but has that investment in his team that I just. You know, we talk, we've talked a lot about trade value with Matt Boyd, unfortunately, um, which is kind of the bittersweet side for a Tigers fan going into this year. Um, but the, but there's so many intangibles there, I think, beyond um, what people you know, can see just by looking at his statistics that um, should make him a very, very valuable piece for someone. And the Tigers don't seem to be real keen on you know talking extension at this point. So I'm assuming something like that's going to go down. But um, yeah, I mean... It's uh, it's it's just fascinating to watch someone evolve that much, and then to have it be a guy that yeah you can really um, you can really cheer for has just been fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, you know, what's fascinating too. Then is like everyone's saying, "Well, I hope the Yankees get him. I hope the Yankees get him." I don't know what that you know. This is you know more narrative based as opposed to t- statistically based, but you know that's a totally different market right in terms of media yeah. and i don't know what he would be like in that kind of market you know what i mean where where guys are constantly at him he just doesn't seem like the kind of dude who would you know he almost seems like a sunny gray guy where he's like i don't really want to be dealing with this kind of you know insane media or like zach Granke. so i'm hoping if he does get moved uh, that it's to a place where he can still continue to thrive where he's not being hounded by the media overall yeah. i'm hoping you know he doesn't get moved at all because you know, it's fun to fun to watch him pitch there, and I don't want to see the Tigers fans any sadder than they may be already. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, as a fly ball pitcher too, you know, who's really on, only problem in the three true outcomes sense is home runs. Um, he's really in in a great spot too. You know, we, we've thought in the past about you know what would have happened if Verlander went to um, went to the Yankees in 2017 rather than to Houston, and I don't know that it would have gone you know quite as well well as it has just because of that park. Um, so yeah, there's that, you know, that that kind of a fit as well, which I just it doesn't just doesn't seem great in New York. So yeah. I mean, I'm kind of I think I've made my peace to some degree with the fact that he's gonna be traded, but I care about my guys when they go away and I want them to go go somewhere fun. Uh, I was yeah. really really happy to see Nick Castellanos go to the Cubs last year and just mash um and have the whole town fall in love with him. That's uh that's cool to see. That was pretty cool. That was, uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch him in Cincinnati, too. I think he's just going to keep doing exactly what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I think this is 30 home run territory for him this year. Yeah, yeah uh, I agree. Do you think there's any chance Boyd is a, a serious Cy Young contender then? Um, Man, that's tough. I, I probably not, if I'm being honest, just because of, I think, that defense behind him, too. Um, I remember in that first appearance, I saw guys dropping foul balls. I saw a guy misplace a ball in center field. So I, I think that's going to continue to plague him. Um, he would have to like that change up would have to be dominant. And then that curveball would have to be a little bit more than a show me curveball right now yeah. uh, in order for him to hit that level. Um, 
So, I mean, I would have to see what the odds are in Vegas before I definitively said no. You know, there could be something where I'm a little bit interested in it, but a lot would have to come together and there would have to be a big uh, jump defensively, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you can get, you know, I don't even know what odds these would be, but if you could get huge odds on him, he might not be a bad, like, long shot guy to throw five bucks on, something like that. Sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the usage issue. Um, you just don't know that the Tigers are going to let him go, you know, seven eight innings very often not that you have to throw 200 innings to win the Cy Young as Blake Snell proved but um but it it still helps (laughs) it still helps to have those those big totals racked up alongside your name for sure totally yeah you know and the other thing about him too is he's he's just been really durable too um I I don't think Matt Boyd has ever had any any reported injury of any sort um which may be a testament to just his obsession with um with conditioning and all the other kind of somewhat more somewhat more woohoo um methodology he has going on there um, sure. Yeah, well, he, but, he seems like it's he, he thinks about it, you know, because he was talking about pronation and supination yeah. and, you know, landing the right way. So I think that, you know, obviously, sometimes it doesn't matter. A guy has a bad body. But I think between those two things, hopefully he continues to stay healthy. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you just don't know when a guy starts adding velocity. Like sometimes that's a good sign. I mean, usually it's a good sign, but sometimes it's also yeah. a bad sign. So, yeah, we'll just have to kind of take it as it goes there. Um, totally. Tyler Beatty just added some velocity and look at him. He had that flexor, that UCL flexor strain. And it's like, you're right. It, it's a little scary. You're right. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, um, Drew Smiley in the, the last world baseball classic was all of a sudden throwing 96, 97. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, I'm, I'm going to be sad that, you know, Drew Smiley is gone. And then, yeah, of course, litany of injuries immediately after <laughs> for two years. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, it was really interesting just hearing uh, Boyd talking about, yeah, like, the landing points and how they might affect his release, like to that degree of specificity, like landing too much on your heel versus too much on the ball. Um, yeah, it just seems like he's, he's just super invested in, in the details to a degree that most guys I've, you know, you hear from aren't. Yeah, which is like, you know, which is exciting and, and, and scary, right? Because it's exciting because he obviously wants to improve. But um, I guess also exciting because it doesn't look like he takes all of that onto the field with him necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, th- that's where it could be scary. You know, like a guy like Bauer is obviously pretty cerebral, you know, um, and he, you know, if he gets frustrated, he's going to throw a ball over the center field wall. Uh, whereas, you know, Boyd seems much more composed, right? Much more mature on the mound. So that's good to yeah, for sure. Yeah, with Bauer, you know, like if he d- gets it in his head that he, you know, he's going to throw this curveball exactly the way he wants to and it gets hit over the fence, he's going to come right back with it a few more times trying to yeah. prove something. So, yeah. Um, all right. Next, the next guy on my list here who um, kind of kind of fits uh, as like Matt Boyd's sort of like little brother now in a way, but Daniel Norris, um, you know, doesn't doesn't have the the velocity he used to have, although I, I've been an advocate all along that, um, you know, once he got beyond the core issue and got a healthy off season in him, that it, there was a decent chance that most of that would come back. But, um, you know, kind of a similar pitcher, but just not with the same refinement at all that Matt Boyd has. Um, do you have any, any hopes for him, uh, improving the season? You know, so I was, I was kind of interested in him last year. And then I know they started utilizing him in that kind of, uh, that three innings pitched weird, like long opener role. You know what I mean? That was like, I don't know what we would call that. Um, and I was digging a little bit deeper in him today and he does have some really interesting stuff because 
if you're looking just at his fastball, it was very poor last year, right? He threw it, uh, you know, about 50% of the time, 45% of the time. It had a 415 Woba and is coming in around 90-91, and that's obviously not great. But the command of the pitch is there. He and he and Boyd actually have identical zone rates on, on that fastball, but Boyd gets double the swinging strike rate that Norris gets when it's in the zone. So uh, Daniel Norris's uh, swinging strike rate in fastballs in the zone was 6.2%, and for Boyd, that was 15.1%. Um, and to me, a big difference with that is uh, I just think Norris isn't able to elevate the four-seamer the way that Boyd is. Boyd was really good at pounding the top of the zone with the fastball and then kind of putting it where he needs to. Well, Norris kind of had a majority of his leak out towards the middle of the plate, hence I think the higher Woba on the four-seamers. The good news, though, is I think there is kind of a path to success there for him because he has the secondary pitches. That changeup is great. Yeah. You know, 20% swinging strike rate last year. That was top 25 amongst all starters. Um, the, the slider is a little bit below average in terms of swinging strike rate, but it has some really nice movement to it. He's able to place the pitch where he needs to consistently, um, which kind of brings me to my next point that he, he has, uh, all these different locations with his pitches, right? He can beat you down and in with a changeup. He can beat you low and away with a slider. Um, I really wish he would kind of cut out that sinker altogether, maybe pick up the changeup usage instead. But if he can elevate that fastball, that if he can raise the eye level a bit and go north south a little bit, I don't know. That's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Yep. I think so too. I mean, they're both trying to do the same thing, especially to right handers. They're trying to jam them in on the hands and. And stick it in there. And yeah, it just felt like Boyd is a lot more successful at, at keeping it out of trouble. Um, although he still, you know, when he did leave it over the plate, it did seem to get hit hard uh, more often than maybe he even deserved. Um, but yeah, you know, Norris, everything kind of moves for him. Like he, you know, some of the sliders will be flat. And then when he breaks off the really good slider, you're like, oh, you know, that, that thing is nasty. So yeah, I, th- I think there's a chance there for him. I think part of the issues with him is still that lower half, though. You know, he just doesn't get down the mound the way he did um, when we first got him. And, I mean, he's only 26, 27. Um, I, I think it's easy to forget how young he still is, um, if he can kind of get beyond some of the, the lower half issues. But he doesn't get the same extension um, that he did back then and doesn't get on top of the ball sometimes um, the way he needs to. Um, and and those things might all play against the, the slider. But um and maybe against the fastball too, because he has, he's another one who has a really pretty high spin rate um, compared to his velocity. At least I think he's like, you know, close to 2,400 RPMs, but, uh, but just doesn't seem to have the efficiency real dialed there and, and doesn't get that great, you know, drive down the mound um, and probably loses a tick of velocity um, in terms of its perception as well. So there's issues for him to, you know, to kind of overcome there, but yeah, I've just, I've just been hopeful that yeah, if he can get his, uh, his legs in shape and kind of repeat his deliberate, you know, a little bit more effectively than he has the past few years that he can use his stuff a little bit, you know, better and, and start thinking his way through it. Cause there were a lot of, a lot of outings where he, he just didn't look like he knew where it was going earlier in the season. Um, and it did seem to help him with the, you know, going three innings and just kind of airing it out. Um, so we'll just have to see, I guess. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, to your point, I think the tigers were smart and they saw how hard he was getting hit the second time through the order. Um, and you know, they, they made that very fitting kind of, I think it was what it was Norris and Verhagen, right? It was that Norris Verhagen one, two punch. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, you know, effective sometimes I think, you know, in many ways we kind of saw what the floor is for Norris. Like, I don't really think, I think he has enough there that that's kind of the worst it would get for him. And if he can bring that four seamer up and like you said, maybe tweak those mechanics a little bit, um, then there is a little bit more for him because the secondary stuff is there. 
Yeah. Yep. I tend to agree. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, it was interesting that you mentioned, you know, ditching the sinker because there's kind of a long-standing problem with um, the Tigers favoring the sinker for pitchers who probably shouldn't be throwing it anymore. Um, I think of Anibal, oh, Anibal Sanchez was, was a classic example where the sinker was just getting pummeled as we entered the whatever, you know, the quote-unquote launch angle era, and um, he just wouldn't go away from it until he went to um, to the Braves. And it's it's another thing that, that bites Fulmer a lot. Um, Fulmer's four-seamer plays great. Um, the two-seamer, they lean on way too often, when they're, especially when there are guys on base. James McCann would just call the sinker all day. Um, and, you know, the Tigers aren't a great defensive club. And, uh, yeah, so he, he wouldn't give up so many home runs off it, but he'd give up a lot of hits. And the guy who, you know... That, that is going to play for, I think, this year or be um, an issue with this year is Spencer Turnbull, um, who's another one who's, mm-hmm. you know, likes to use his sinker, but should probably just be leaning on the four-seamer. Yeah, w- without a doubt. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, but before we go on to him, do you do you per- personally feel that the Tigers organization is a, is a particularly stubborn one? I think the Tigers, yeah, are stubborn and, you know, and they are old fashioned. Like they're, they're trying not to be, but it's sort of like, you know, rather than bringing in, you know, when Dave Dombrowski was fired and they brought in Alavila, my hope at the time had been that they would, you know, they would go and start plucking guys from some of the more um, progressive organizations, whether the Dodgers, Rays, Astros, wherever. And they never really did that. So we still are, you know, the, the, the key decision makers in the organization are still, you know, a really old school group of guys. You know, you have Dave Littlefield, who was a GM for the Pirates and a former scout. Um, you know, David Chad, kind of kind of a similar background. Um, and yeah, it's, it. you know, they're, they're trying hard. Like they finally have like really invested in the technology. They hired Dan Hubs um, to, to kind of run their pitching analytics. Um, I think last summer they hired him actually, former USC um, head coach. So they're doing some of the right things, but they are, an old school group and whatever goes on at the player development level where they do seem to be, you know, making some strides, you know, at the major league level, you still have Rick Anderson, who is, you know, very much a sinker slider command, you know, type of old school coach who wants you to get ground balls and go nine innings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. And I brought it up and we'll get to him later, but I I'm, I have some opinions on what I think that might mean for Joe Jimenez and, and the closer role for them. But um, you, you, I don't want to get too far away from the point because you brought up Spencer Turnbull, who is also – I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm an Orioles fan, right? So I'm used to guys being like, oh, the Orioles, there's no one good on that team, right? <laughs> um, and and I feel like Tigers fans have to deal with that as well when, in fact, there is depth. Uh, you know, I think more so maybe for, for pitching than for hitting. Well, maybe that might actually might not be true. There are some interesting, um, very interesting names for hitters. But for Turnbull, he's definitely a guy I think people are ignoring a little bit. You know, b- before that injury, before the, uh, I think it was shoulder fatigue, right? Yeah. Yep. He had a 3.31 ERA with a 3.94 FIP. Um, obviously, the, the Sierra there, the, the 4.66 Sierra is a little bit scary. But I really do think that with a full season under his belt, he can be a low four 
ERA kind of guy because the Arsenal's there. Like you obviously know he has the, he has the two fastballs that I think he works both sides of the plate really effectively with. Um, I think the sinker finds a few too many barrels when he misses. It's really just kind of breaking right into a hitter's bat. Um, he has the slider, which is really, really nice, but you know, so it's tighter, right? It's not like that kind of loopy Matt Boyd slider. Um, the curveball has some nice 12, six movement to it. Uh, also different from, from Boyd's and Norris's, which is, um, you know, good to see as well. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with the sinker usage with him. As you very fittingly said, um, when he, when he was first starting to throw in 2018, it was obviously a much smaller sample size, but we didn't see anywhere near the amount of sinkers that we saw in 2019. If he can amp up the slider usage instead of the sinker, I think there's a path for him to be, like I said, that low four ERA guy. The good news for him though, is unlike Norris, I think that fastball or the four seamer, I should say is mostly there. You know, the 11% swinging strike rate in the pitch is, is really good to see. Um, I, I was looking into it, and it looks like a lot of that was O-swing. A lot of that uh, swing strike rate was outside the zone for his four-seamer, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because, you know, that mid-90s velocity is going to make it, you know, maybe maybe that sustains. Yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe you lead guys off more with, you know, with the sinker, try to get it, you know, early outs. Um, but then, yeah, but yeah, my it just has always felt like the Tigers would want to do this backwards where, you know, I would throw sinkers with nobody on base, you know, um, and then once, you know, once you're in a little bit of trouble and you need, you know, you need the swing and miss, then just all four seamers. Like, I don't want to see the sinker <laughs> with yeah. people on base. But yeah, the Tigers do sometimes, you know, kind of kind of play that in reverse. The other thing about Spencer Turnbull, oh, you know, the first thing I should mention, the, the one, I think the thing that's going to be a problem with Spencer Turnbull, and it's one of the reasons why I'm still not sure if maybe I wouldn't like him better as a reliever, is because he's had a history of, of shoulder fatigue, you know, basically every uh-huh. season kind of costing him a month, you know, a couple weeks. And then he comes back and he struggles a little bit and then usually he'll get it going again. But it's kind of, there's kind of been a pattern there. Um, and it feels like, you know, more and more pitchers are getting better at, at knowing how to like condition themselves through something like that. You know, like an issue that kind of keeps popping up like that. It feels like we're getting to the point where there are more concrete solutions. Um, so maybe something can happen there, but it is, it's always in the back of my head that, yeah, he's kind of had that, you know, pattern um, for a couple of years now. Um, the other the other thing about his four-seamer that I always think is interesting is that he does have a pretty good spin rate on it. But if you look at the vertical movement on it, it's like, you know, I think he gets like seven to eight inches of vertical movement. So not really particularly good. Um, and, and that just always is kind of interesting. Like, you know, spin pure spin rate, like just the total RPMs obviously doesn't mean as much as it, we thought it might when it first you know, first came on the scene in 2015, but, um, but can you think, I mean, are there other guys like that that you can think of who, you know, seem to have like that good riding four seamer when you look at the data, but then when you actually look at the movement, it's just not there that kind of remind you of anyone else. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like the, the first thing that comes up when, when I think about guys who, yeah. Okay. Um, Glasnow's fastball mostly relies on 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 velocity as opposed to movement, so that's kind of like another one. Um, uh, Musgrove, kind of a, a similar guy too, except far less on velocity. Doesn't really have like the kind of sexiest movement. Um, maybe even a guy like Corbin Burns too, or like just doesn't like I think kind of the the big thing there for me and you know as we're as Statcast is growing and as Baseball Savant is growing and we're kind of learning about new things um, I think the next big thing that people are going to start talking about a little bit more is active spin right 
Um, and, and for people listening who don't really know, like spin rate is essentially how much it's spinning, but active spin is how much of that spin is contributing to movement, uh, which you really want a, a high dosage of. So the perfect example is like, um, uh, I think it's called transverse spin. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's what it's called. Like, um, rich Hills curveball, all of his movement, all of his spin contributes to movement, and that's what makes it so absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a bit tangential, but it's also why I'm not as high on guys like Jack Flaherty this year because I don't think the fastball in terms of movement or in velocity is actually that great, and it just kind of gets lucky every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, like the term spin efficiency you know, kind of gets into it, but active spin actually sounds, sounds perfect. But yeah, it can be it can be about the angle you're releasing it, but also like the the alignment of the seams, the way it's traveling sure. through the air, all that all that stuff has to factor in. Although it seems like um, I've never actually gotten to, to just look at a rap soto up close. I don't know if maybe you have, but does it doesn't it even show that? Like I think it even has like spin efficiency or spin to movement or something like that on there. So it's all sort of presented for you. I've only seen photos of the interface, but yes, I believe it does have spin efficiency on there, which is which is crazy. You know what I mean? Like that's like how far have we come? You know what I mean? I know, like that's like amazing. three three four years. You know, this is all just blown up. Yeah, like I can't even bend over and put my shoes on without grunting, and guys have like rhapsodos. You know what I mean? Like I, I just feel like this is such a monster. <laughs> oh man, yep it's uh it's it's a fascinating time to watch pitching. That's that's, that's certainly for sure. And yeah. Yet, yeah. Um, yeah. Turnbull. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm very curious to see Turnbull this year. I'm just, I'm just interested to see if there were any, any little changes. He's another one. I know he went to Uganda with Matt Boyd. I know the two of them are boys now too. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's been at, uh, at driveline finally working on some of this stuff, but, uh, but yeah, to go back to the kind of the tigers and their, their philosophy, like it was really notable that when they drafted Casey Mize, like one of the first things, you know, one of the first big stories that kept coming out was that Casey Mize was already like, you know, really Auburn, you know, apparently has all the tools and, and was all dialed with that stuff all along. And he's representative of a whole new class of young pitchers who all expect you to have that technology, expect you to have the fluency and how to use it. And if you don't, you know, you look like a bunch of clowns. Um, cause all the young guys yeah. now are, are, you know, primed to all that. And it kind of plays into, you know, playing the game a little bit like a video game in your, in your practice session, you're looking at your results, you know, on the Rapsodo or on the Edgertronic cameras, and then you have to take it, you know, to the mound into this real situation. And it's, it's really interesting. And I know some, I like listening to like John Smoltz try to like reconcile the, those two approaches is hilarious. Cause you know, you can just tell it would just drive him nuts to think about having all this data in his head when he has to go out there and pitch. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny because I think he just kind of completely misses the point when he gets so frustrated about it. And it's why I get so frustrated with him because all they're doing is creating personalized programs. You know what I mean? They have tools to create like Daniel Norris and Matthew Boyd are not the same pitcher. So to have a pitching program that treats them like the same pitcher like it would have done in Smoltz's time is is counterproductive, right? So all, all they're trying to do is make you better. You know what I mean? It like cracks me up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, why not customize, you know, if you can, you know, customization is the, the way of the modern world. Exactly. Fortnite made a billion dollars based off customization alone, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, where, where we're at as an organization is interesting because, yeah, it feels like in the minor leagues, you're hearing a lot more of that talk. Like Casey Mize, you know, worked on his slurve and, and made some adjustments to that that first off season. Um, and as soon as he came into camp, you started hearing about him and Matt Boyd, or I'm sorry, Matt Manning 
and um, Alex Fiedo and all those guys kind of getting together. And it almost felt like Casey Mize was sort of giving the tutorial on how to use, you know, the technology and the information, um, which, yeah, which just seemed like a, a bit of a parable for the for the Tigers organization, unfortunately, <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, but you know what, like, to, to, I mean, obviously that stinks, you want it coming from the organization, but they also might have something um, that I think, uh, Ben, I think it's, wasn't it Travis Sawchuk and Ben Lindbergh who wrote the MVP machine? Yeah. Um, they, they talk about having a conduit, right? And how difficult it is for organizations to bridge the gap between the analytics nerds and the pitchers, uh, and how, how pivotal it is to have a guy like Bauer, although he has his own kind of personality, um, I wouldn't say issues, but a very distinct personality. So they are kind of lucky to have a guy like Mize who's like already speaks the language of pitching and knows all this kind of quote unquote nerdy analytic stuff. And he could convey that. So that, I listen, that makes me a lot more excited than than what I have for the Orioles. I'll tell you that much. Oh yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. Actually, you know, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. It, it. You know, that he could be that conduit and Matt Boyd seems to be fulfilling that role at the major league level. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Between the two, I, you know, in terms of pitching, I feel pretty good about the organization at this point. It's, you know, it's the question of where are we going to find the bats and are we going to make any kind of an effort to win while we have all this pitching or are we going to have to trade, you know, Boyd, Norris, Fulmer, Turnbull to get enough, you know, and then, then maybe you don't have enough pitching, you know, it's, it's, we're in a weird spot where it's not lining up particularly well um, at this point, but yeah, just just to have uh, have all those young guns on the horizon pitching wise makes me feel a lot lot better about the season. We should see some of these guys later on, I would assume. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe it's something where like I mean I'm I'm personally very very high on CJ Crone this year, and you know maybe it's something where you know he he performs how I think he should be performing this year, and they move him for some for some future hitting value. Yeah, it's not impossible. Um, I think we've also kind of grown a little bit um, embittered about the um, we're going to sign this guy to a one-year deal and flip him <laughs> idea because sure. it just doesn't, you know, it's just a tough time. Uh, it's a tougher time to trade um, and hope to get back a, a real hitter. Um, teams are clinging to those guys, you know, with the death grip. Like, I've had, this is just fans, of course, but, you know, like Angels fans I've been, you know, talking to for a while, like, Hey, you know, Brandon Marsh and another piece and you guys could have Matt Boyd and everybody's like, no, there's no way we never trade Brandon Marsh. And it's just like, well, what are you going to do? Are you guys going to have five outfielders over there and nobody, to, <laughs> no, nobody to pitch? You know, I mean, Joe Adele, you got, you know, Mike Trout, obviously, for God's sakes. And then you got Justin Upton and left. You got Fletcher, you know, you can, you guys can spare uh, yeah, Brian Goodwin. Like, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we could combine those two teams, we'd you know we'd have a juggernaut. But wouldn't that be great? If like that would be awesome. We should start doing that a little bit more, combining two like subpar teams and just turning them in. Because who else is going to beat the Dodgers? Yeah, we need like some sort of Voltron team to to take that team on. Yeah, you know, like some of these ideas about like relegating, like you know, the worst team in each you know in each division, and then you know just let everybody else like kind of vulture them for for its season, and then they have to come back together. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it could be fun, you know. <laughs> um, what do you think about uh, Joe Jimenez this year? He's another one, you know, who, you know, I know there's been interest from the Rays. Like, there have been a couple teams who have inquired on Joe Jimenez that scared me because I expected Joe Jimenez to get traded to one of those two teams and, you know, suddenly have, like, a perfectly efficient riding four-seamer and a tighter slider and just absolutely dominate in a way that we haven't quite been able to get him to do yet. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I hear you. I mean, so just from, you know, this is kind of the reason why I asked you about your opinions about the organization and if you felt that they were stubborn, um, because uh, I just did this this big presentation at First Pitch Florida, uh, this uh, baseball HQ event about relievers and about closers uh, and about how, in my opinion, we're still kind of drafting them incorrectly. And I uh, got a bunch of data for the past 12 years from all these teams to see how they have historically been treating uh, the closer position, because obviously, um you know, they're being utilized differently. Saves are being more uh, distributed. Um, last year, I think about 204 different relievers got at least one save um, by organization, which was far and away uh, a, a high. Oh, yeah. Um, like a, a, a league high. And uh, some people might look at that. It's actually, I think it's like 194 individual relievers, but I double counted some because I feel like when guys like Melanson get traded to a different team and they get saves for both of them, I think it's important to kind of double count them. But either way, uh, it's important to know that that's on the rise. But the, the Tigers are not really with that trend. I mean, they, they seem to have, they seem to be at least for the past 12 years an organization that really likes to stick with their guy. I mean, I was really surprised last year after they traded green, Jimenez got all of those saves. Yeah. All of them. I mean, granted, I don't think it was more than like 10 or 12, but like still, usually when that happens, they'll, they'll kind of maybe do a little bit of a committee uh, or maybe give some opportunities to some other guys. Um, and maybe it was just something where they didn't really believe in like Buck Farmer to be able to come in and get some saves. But from a solely fantasy perspective, I, I think – while guys are going to be drafting people like Nick Anderson or um, uh, Gallegos over on the Cardinals, they're they're going to have their saves split up. Whereas Joe Jimenez should theoretically, if he doesn't get moved, get a bulk of them because that that four seamer, I mean, it's it's a very good four seamer. I think it, it it is in the 90th percentile and 95th percentile in, in spin rate. He's up there with his velocity. It's a really great pitch. So uh, I, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he's another one. You know, gets gets really good extension to the plate, and if he can, um, if he can get a hand, I really think what happened to him last year is if you look at his numbers, the slider graded really well, but he didn't use it very much, um, and and that was largely because he just he just didn't have command of it a lot of the time. So, sure, um, that might be the um, yeah the the next step for him. Yeah, maybe the I guess I like the term traditional for the Tigers better than stubborn because they have been. You know, there's been an attempt. Like they certainly recognize that they were behind the times and are trying to make those strides. And it feels more and more like some of the players are, are taking that role um, themselves. And you know, and going to work outside. You know, the organization bringing information back. But in terms of like usage specifically, the Tigers are yeah rock solid traditional. I mean, this is the team that named Bruce Rondon as their you know their closer you know of the future. When he was still, I think, in like <laughs> double A, you know, like sure. you guys, you didn't need to say that, you know, and and they they are like that. They want a closer. They want their dedicated, you know, eighth inning guy. Um, and even even just seeing, you know, the piggyback starts with um Norris and Verhagen last year. You know, that kind of blew a lot of the fan base's mind, and and everybody kind of felt like, oh, here we go. You know, they're really going to start innovating in their usage and all that. But really. That was just because Daniel Norris, you know, had only thrown, I think, like 90 innings in 2018, and they didn't want to push his innings total too far. And so he actually okay. he actually went in and wrote a letter to Ron Gardenhire begging him, you know, to let him keep starting. And that was kind of the compromise. It's like, you can, you can go three innings. Um, Are you serious? I did not. He wrote a letter to him? Yeah, a handwritten letter. This is Daniel Norris, of course. You know, it was probably, you know, scratched with, you know, some kind of stub of a golf pencil he found in a swamp, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> something along those lines. He might have chipped it out of something for all I know. Like, wood carved it. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, there it is. So, you know, that's just, you know, that's that's the way it goes over here sometimes. We don't um we don't see a whole lot of interesting usage. And it's too bad, especially I think, going into this year, because there are a couple like you know, Jordan Zimmerman like cannot, you know, if Jordan Zimmerman gets you through the order one time, you should be happy with that and, and just move on. You know, he's a perfect candidate yeah. to have, you know, a hard throwing lefty or, you know, someone else kind of lead off, um, you know, and, and get, you know, most of the way through the order. Let Jordan Zimmerman face the final couple guys in the, in the order and then turn it over and go one time or, or maybe two times if he's on that day. Um, but yeah, they just don't show a whole lot of you know interest in doing that. And I'm, Maybe that'll change, you know, maybe the extra spot on the roster allows them, you know, to, to, to maybe experiment a few, a little bit more with that sort of thing, especially because they, you know, they do have a lot of depth at AAA, like the Toledo Mudhead's pitching staff is probably going to be better than the Tigers pitching staff this year. Won't surprise me a bit yeah. if it is. Um, yeah. 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 I hear you. I mean, I, I feel for you. I'll, I'll say that. I, I very much feel for you guys. Yeah, you know. We had a good run. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least you had a good run. Yeah, you guys. At least you know, had a good run. You guys had a decent run. There were like a couple years that you guys were in there in the, in Baltimore, and and surprisingly so. Like I, I always looked at those Baltimore teams and just thought, like, nah, there's no way. But um, they just had. It was just such a genius for putting the other bullpen over there. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm a fan of Buck Showalter. So, um, but but I that's kind of where I first like started really thinking about like the way you would use pitchers. Um, you know, and, and stagger different types of, of stuff um, and arm angle and all that so that you're giving people all these different looks. I mean, it helps to have, you know, Darren O'Day and Zach Britton and, you know, all these guys. Sure. But, but yeah, that was a pretty interesting, uh, interesting period. And I would love to have Sigmate all, you know, kind of running the show here. <laughs> so I have, some, yeah. I have some hope for you guys over there as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, it's the most hope I've had in a while. I, I'm going to be be wholly discouraged if Dylan Bundy, you know, explodes when he is with the Angels. Uh, it, it's going to be really tough for me to see, especially considering that it's the new organization that moved him. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Uh, the fact that we're even a top 15 farm team is amazing. That's yeah. great. Yeah. All about. That, that was pretty fast. You know, pretty fast turnaround. Um, and you guys didn't really have too many huge pieces to trade. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty, true. Pretty good in that regard. I, you know, I mean, that's the big problem with the, the Tigers rebuild is that they really, you know, we'll see how things play out. But right now, they didn't get a whole lot back for um, Justin Berlander, and they got nothing for JD Martinez, and uh, that's a bad yeah. way to start a rebuild. Oh God. Um, I know we were. There's one thing I wanted to bring up about Jimenez, because I know you wanted to talk about some of the other uh, younger arms. But I was looking at his. You kind of got me curious about his. Um, his put away rate, how efficient he was at at, at putting away guys, uh, and it, it's top forty. I mean, he's he's right there near, and that's over all relievers, not just closers. So that's great. I mean, he he's right next to Ozuna. Um, he's better than uh, Leclerc. Uh, there's a lot of like really good names that he's better than. He's better than Green, better than Melanson, which kind of makes sense. Not really a strikeout guy. Um, so he, I think he he does have some good stuff. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't look that up. Um, yeah, actually, do you want to um, just describe for a second what put away um, percentage is? Just because I, I think it's, you know, it's fairly new to think about it that way. Um, although it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Totally. Um, so uh, put away rate um, was a metric created by I couldn't find out who I like Googled forever. But it was someone over it. I think it was uh, um, what was it? It wasn't baseball reference, but it was something like that. Uh, either way, um, it is. 
a metric that is essentially looking at how well a guy puts away a particular hitter. The formula for it is strikeout with pitch type uh, over two strike pitches with that pitch type. And that's very convoluted. So let me see if I can break it down a little bit easier. Um, so let's say like uh, it's the first step out of the year and Garrett Cole is throwing against Hanser Alberto. Um, if he throws a fastball, then Alberto uh, in a two strike count, it's a two strike count. Cole throws a fastball. Alberto fouls it off. He throws another one. It's a ball. And then he throws a third fastball and gets the strikeout. So Cole's uh, K percentage on the fastball is 100%, right? It's the first step out of the year. He got one strikeout with that fastball, but the put-away rate would actually be 33% because he threw three two-strike fastballs, only one of which resulted in a strikeout. So it's really kind of an efficiency rating, right? K percentage doesn't necessarily tell you the entire story. Put-away rate lets you know how efficient a guy is being with a pitch. Chris Paddock is a great example of a guy who kind of struggles with put-away rate because he really only has two pitches so far. He's got the fastball and the changeup. He really needs that curveball to come ahead to help get you know guys out. Um, with relievers, it's a, a little bit different because obviously they're usually only dealing with one or two pitches. So when I see Joe Jimenez has uh, a high putaway rate, that's that's encouraging to me. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. We just yeah, you just keep an eye out. If if Joe's getting ahead of people, he should be fine. Um, yeah. yeah, it's neat. You know how many different kind of you know little granular ways we can break a pitcher down that way and look at them. Like looking at you know you can look at swinging strikes. You can also look at you you mentioned uh, or you retweeted something the other day about frame like or what, what was it freeze rate I think it is which is like it seemed to me or at least if it isn't this this is another interesting way to look at it is like how many pitches that that start out of the zone and come in and don't get a swing against them you know like knowing that is another interesting kind of element you could add into the mix. There's there's truly so much and I mean like that that's kind of what we're trying to do over over at Pitchless too is just like a what do they mean <laughs> and, and b b how do you use them and c like which how do you weight them right because i mean like the thing that i'm always kind of getting on people about is like i i'm not really i you know war is fantastic but i don't like it because it, it's just a catch-all fun metric right and that to me is the kind of antithesis of the issues i have with metrics it's like no these guys are puzzle pieces and every single you know we want to be looking at as many different things as we can yeah, yeah, because if a guy changes one thing, it can affect everything, like the everything that he's got, like all the way all of his pitches play, everything, so. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's just a question out there, you know, for, for people who are baseball fans and interested, like, how, how deep do you want to go? You know, I've still got, you know, people in my family who I, um you know, I have to harp on the three true outcomes, you know, about, like, start, <laughs> start, start there with everybody, start there with all hitters, start there with all pitchers. You know, and then we'll start looking at, you know, the, the, the contact and quality of contact and all that other stuff, you know, but just, yeah. you know, as a baseline, just just give me the three true outcomes at least. I do feel, too, I have to say I would be remiss if I, I can't believe it took me this long to bring it up. I was fortunate enough to go to Comerica for two games uh, about a year, I think a year ago. And that stadium, I think, is awesome. I oh, think it's. I think it's really awesome, and uh, the fans are really, like, amazing. Like, I sat with – I mean, th this was, like, in the middle of the summer. Like, both of the teams were really good, and they were just really excited to be there, and you could just tell they really loved Tigers baseball. And, like, this is almost, like, sacrilege to say for an Orioles fan, but in many ways, I actually enjoyed Comerica more than Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Oh, that's interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, everybody loves Camden Yards. Like, it's just such a cool park. Um, but, yeah, Detroit has its thing where in the summertime it is sort of like the stadium there is kind of the hub. You know, there's 
pretty much everything that goes on downtown is is within you know you know a couple blocks generally speaking so yeah you know they actually do get a pretty good turnout down there even um, even considering how bad you know we've been we have the worst record um over the last five years combined of any team in baseball which is <laughs> hard to reconcile but yeah people will still come out you know it's uh it's a place that people like to hang out in the summertime and yeah, and Detroit is a is a quirky, interesting city with a lot of a lot of parts to it. So yeah, you'll definitely see some characters there as well. And the largest roads I've ever seen in my life, like <laughs> those roads. I've never been in a city where they were like, yeah, we added bike lanes and it was no problem. Yeah. Like no one cared. <laughs> yeah, we added the trolley and people didn't even notice, you know, that it was going. Yeah, hard. exactly. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, we do all that, and at the same time, we cannot actually fix the roads that we have. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a conundrum, you know. They're the most potholed roads, you know, on planet Earth. But yeah, we got plenty of them, man. Yeah, options. <laughs> oh Lord, I've never been to Baltimore. I would love to go. I think my uh, my podcast or podcast partner Ashley is uh, is going to Camden Yards sometime this summer. Yeah. It Listen, it's it's amazing. It's gorgeous. The city is it, it is what it is, but it's getting better. Uh, the, the the stadium is is gorgeous. It's extremely intimate. It's very very intimate. Um, so I think she'll she'll dig it. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I mean my my last good memories there are really like you know J D Martinez or Nick Cassianos hitting a home run to right in the what twenty fourteen ALDS. You know, mm-hmm. um, but just that that sense of like everyone being on the concourse back there and and really kind of looking right on top of the field is pretty cool. Yeah, um, I guess if there's one complaint I have about Comerica, it's that now that we have nets, it would be nice that it, it, I would just like to see the stadium like pressed back up closer to the field a little bit. You know, I still like some foul territory. I like it to be a little fair in terms of, you know, pop outs for the pitchers. But um, but yeah, it just feels so much more laid back. And especially growing up, going to Tiger Stadium um, in the 80s, Tiger Stadium, it felt like, you know, like the game was happening underneath your feet and you couldn't even see some of it. You know, you were right on it. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it's all part of that that kind of more spread out prairie style of uh, of stadium that went on in the 90s, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But I like it. Yeah, I'm still still pretty good with it. Um, yeah, I mean, in general, like, yeah, just to kind of turn to this before we get into the top prospect guys real quick. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about the fact that the Tigers rebuild is so pitching centric? Um, do, you, do you think that can work? I mean, I've kind of argued that maybe we are you know, maybe not by design, but kind of bucking the bucking the trend here and maybe getting better pieces by being, you know, heavily pitching focused um, as opposed to trying to compete for the hitters. But I don't know. What is your uh, what's your perspective on that? No, I mean, I'm biased, but but I I like that. You know, I like seeing the kind of the young arms and I like seeing the fact that they're having success drafting, too. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's kind of rare. I mean, especially coming from my perspective, it's rare to have them have so much success drafting and then turning these guys into something viable. You know what I mean? They've made legitimate changes, it seems, with Mize and with Manning in terms of both of their commands um, that they're that, that they're turning into these front end guys, which I think is really exciting. And I also enjoy the fact that they're kind of zigging while they're zagging. You know, by the time they're competing in uh, the Tigers overall in, let's say, three or four years, maybe that's a little optimistic. But, you know, let's say Mize and Manning come up for a full year next year or a year after that. By the time they're competing, the league is probably going to be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be uh, operating in a different way. You know, we're we've been baseball fans long enough to know that there was a time before the launch angle revolution. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if people think that this is going to be something that's still happening in seven years, then, then, then there's a misunderstanding of what game theory is. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, 
other pitches are going to come into play. So the fact that they have these kind of exciting, explosive arms uh, who might have struggled a little bit today, sure, but overall are really fantastic to watch and they're zigging while the league is zagging, I think is a very interesting way to approach it. And I also still believe that you can still go out and buy a good hitter. You know what I mean? And I've always, I mean, so I guess I, I feel I, like... I appreciate it. Oh yeah, and if you're gonna go out and and spend your free agent dollars, like it just has always struck me that it's it's safer to buy position players. Like if you're gonna spend on someone, you know, we see what Chris Sales, you know, going through over in Boston, and you know, yeah, they won won a World Series, so whatever. But um, but yeah, it's it's just risky to put that kind of cash down on on pitchers. And um, boy, the Yankees better hope Garrett Cole is real damn good this year. Because <laughs> yeah, he totally. Yeah, they're they're really shit out of luck with uh, Severino out again. Yeah, without a doubt. And then Paxton, it's a, it's a nightmare over there. I think I think the one thing, the one asterisk I'll put next to that is like the organization needs to continue to grow. You know what I mean? If they're an organization that's going to build these pitchers who I really do believe in and really do believe that they're going to have success, they can't be the team that's letting, you know, J.D. Martinez go. And obviously that was a different set of circumstances, but they also can't be the team not to keep bringing it back to the Orioles, but that, that signs a Chris Davis. You know what I mean? They need to be forward thinking with how they're going to spend that money on hitters to really maximize their game plan yeah i agree and it you you know there's also the sense too like it it's hard for we know we had justin verlander we had max scherzer and it's still hard for those guys to be the face of the franchise because you're pitching every five days um you still it still feels like to have a real winner you have to have that core group of guys who come up together you know it's just really hard to buy a whole bunch of free agents and and get the chemistry right enough to to smash them all together and figure you've got this juggernaut. Um, so yeah, it does feel like they've got to find a way to get those couple guys like Riley green, obviously looks like one of those guys, but he's a few years away. Maybe Spencer Torkelson, Austin Martin, when we pick first this year, um, they've got a, they've got a few guys, but there, but there isn't much beyond that. And, um, and that's where we're, yeah, we're, we're going to be hurting for a while probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes. Um, all right, let's, let's just talk real quick about Casey. You know, we saw Casey Mize today. Um, what, what, did, what do you think about Casey Mize in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's – I think overall, like if, if you told me, hey, I'm getting 160 out of Mize and I'm getting 160 out of Manning, I would go with Mize. I think he really has actually the better stuff, the fuller arsenal as well. Um, it's just the health that's that's obviously going to be pretty scary. I was super excited to be able to watch him on TV today. I, I think I was the only one who was like, forget about Cole. Like, <laughs> let's, Or I mean you guys obviously were. I'm sure you guys felt the exact same way. Um, his fastball has that really nice arm side run to it, sort of lacking command in this particular start. Obviously, the velo is there for him. He's sitting comfortably in the mid-90s. The slider is you know, is really nice. You can sort of mix speeds with it a little bit. And then, of course, there's that splitter, which he considers to be his whiff pitch. Um, we get a lot of jokes over at PitcherList about our kind of like hatred of splitters. But when, <laughs> when they're utilized the way that he utilizes them, which is kind of a, a, a whiff-getting third pitch, then it's something we're much more interested in. We usually just don't like the, the volatility with the grip. Um, but yeah, there, there was, as the start progressed, I, you know, there was like, okay, maybe he's losing a little bit. But overall, like, the stuff is there, man. The stuff is very much there. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And yeah, that splitter is one of the best out there, I'd say, already. Um, I know it gets 70 grades, you know, all over the place, and that that makes sense. Um, the fastball command is usually good. Like, com- you know, command in general is kind of what stands out to everyone about Casey Mize he just generally has looked really composed when he's been healthy, you know, throws a ton of strikes, can spot it to, you know, either side of the plate, can go upstairs on you, um, has all those things going. I I guess my only question about him, other than the health issues, which, you know, which are are present, is just how well the fastball will play against major league hitters. Because he does have the run, 
He's got some velocity, but it can also be a little bit flat. You know, it can have a little bit of that like yeah. flat two seam run on it. And, you know, he shows the ball a little bit early, um, doesn't get great extension down the mound. There, there are some things like that, but there's just so much stuff there um, that, yeah, I, I don't know if I really ever look at him as like a guy who could be a, a 200 inning, you know, ace, but I would love to no. see the Tigers kind of protect him from the beginning and, and use him like a, you know, like a five inning starter. Like we just want you to throw 90 pitches, you know, every time out, dominate these guys and we'll go to the bullpen after that. Um, but yeah, well, this isn't the organization to do that, I'm afraid. Yeah, you're right. And that is kind of sad because I do like that approach, you know, just let him, let him build up confidence. You know what I mean? You don't want him to be like a guy like like Giolito who when he comes up just gets shelled and then looks lost for a year or two. You know what I mean? And I don't think Mize is like that. I think he's got a better makeup than that. But you're right. I, I would It would be interesting to see him utilize like that. And we're probably, I mean, in my opinion, and you can you obviously know more about the Tigers than I do, but I don't think we'll probably see him until August, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, you know, you never know. Um, obviously, it's a pitching staff. We saw a whole, you know, litany of, of injuries take a bunch of guys out right in the, at the beginning of the season last year. And maybe if something like that happens, you, you end up having to use one of them as a spot starter. Um, but but yeah, I would assume the Tigers really don't want to see any of those guys until very late in the season. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, Manning is sort of the one who's a little bit more still like the raw, like, my God, what an athlete, um, you know, (laughs) type of guy. And he's another one who, you know, was really raw when they drafted him. And that's, that's the pick that maybe could have gone the most, the most wrong. Um, You know, I think of like Riley Pint was drafted that, that same year, you know, a couple spots ahead of him. Um, You know, they took a risk on a guy who was more of a basketball player um, and really needed like a complete mechanical overhaul um, in 2017 in his first full season. And then ever since then, um, the aptitude has just been incredible, and he just seems to keep making huge leaps and bounds. And I've had him number one on, on my list ever since um, we drafted him, and I, I didn't ever turn that over to Casey Mize. And I'm still kind of hanging in there that way because I still think, you know, Manning just turned 22. I think we're going to see the changeup take a, a step forward this year. And I'm very interested to see the slider because um, I've always kind of felt like there's going to be a cutter or a slider coming. Uh, he used to kind of you know, he would kind of cross step occasionally and his four seamer would cut and it was always accidental. I talked to him one time about it and he was like, no, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to do that. So it always seemed like he had that, you know, that ability um, to, to pull out a, a harder breaking ball. So yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how that goes, but he's, he is the one that seems like a little bit um, further away, um, especially after watching Tarek Skubal this spring, who's just been ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get to him in a second, but you, you're right about Manning, too. I mean, you have to be impressed. When I looked at his Fangraphs page for the first time and I saw the steady decrease in walk rate ever since 2017 at virtually every level. Now, granted, some of that was, uh, you know, under 20 innings. But then to go from a guy who in his debut was kind of like, oh, a 11-12 uh, walk, uh, uh, cap- uh, excuse me, walk percentage guy down to like a 7 in in 133 innings last year. It was like, wow, he's he's legitimately making these fantastic strides. And I mean, today it was like the first that first at bat to Gary Sanchez. I was like, let's go. Like, yeah. here we go, <laughs> man. That that 97 mile an hour fastball, like, which just looks so effortless for him. Three pitches that strikeout, And then I think he kind of got rattled by that. He got Shioka home run and everything after that was like a little bit tense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that beginning there was enough for me to be like, OK, there, there's plenty there for this kid. Yep. And uh, yeah, we've always kind of, you know, he's, he just keeps filling out too. You know, he puts on like a little bit of good muscle every year, you know, and I, and I kind of figure at the end, he's going to be built a lot like Noah Syndergaard, uh, maybe not quite as like thick, but, but, you know, similar sized, um, similar sized guy. And, you know, you saw him hit, I don't know, 
we could always kind of question, you know, the radar gun or whatever. I don't even know if there is a radar gun at this point. I thought they were all using TrackMan, but he did hit uh, did hit 100 on the gun today, um, which kind of oh, wow. set everyone a buzz. But yeah, when you watch how easily he throws, you know, 96, 97, the Tigers are, aren't a team that is emphasizing, you know, throwing your max velocity very often. And I think he just, you know, pitches within himself, but I'm pretty po- you know, positive there's triple digits in there um, and that'll start to come along as he gets more refined. So. Yeah, there's a lot to like. It, he's like that that bet on the athlete guy, you know, like to see a guy with yeah. that that big of a stride, that tall, that skinny, and still develop his command that way. Like a lot of guys wouldn't be able to do that. You'd probably have to cut the stride down. You know, you'd have to you know make a lot more adjustments than than he's had to. Um, to yeah, to refine his command and, and have it come along as well as it has. And then we yeah, got- it's, it. it- Go sorry, go on. Oh no, no, go for it because I'm going to go on to Scoobal after this. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going to say he's he's exciting to watch, and, and so is Scoobal, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Tark Scoobal. You know, when we drafted him, I was like, oh, that's that's cool. Looks like you know could be a really interesting lefty reliever. Um, you know, throws could top out 97. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, you know he was a reliever for a couple of uh, months after we drafted him, and then yeah, it came out last year, and it was just like, I don't know where this guy came from. You know, this it's like. Sandy Koufax dropped in our lap or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, high leg kick, you know, like the power curve, the you know lightning fastball with all the ride on it, kind of that invisible fastball where he's throwing across his body from a high arm slot, and it's just super yeah. hard to pick up on for people. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what makes him so exciting, and what kind of picks up what used to be kind of. I don't want to say subpar, but, but breaking stuff that he wasn't really known for. You know what I mean? Um, it seemed like he was just like, oh, that fastball is electric, that fastball is electric. And then those kind of wonky mechanics came in with the arm slot. And we were like, oh, OK, well, maybe that'll help him uh, a, a little bit. And then I was I was kind of mulling back and forth. You know, all right. Well, is this is this you know not to bring it back to Rendon, but or Rendon, the uh, the closer of the future for 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 the Tigers. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and then I saw that that breaking ball K to Michael Chavis on Monday, and uh, you know you hear how excited the announcers <laughs> got about that. And uh, I think it was I think it was like a, one of his curveballs that was just kind of like down into the knees there. Um, so if he if he can keep making those like listen. If a guy has a foundation that's an elite fastball, that's what I prefer over all things. You know what I mean? I really think you can continue to fine-tune the, the the breaking stuff and help him reach another level. The kid is 23 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's He's got a year or two to figure out how to make that changeup or that breaker a little bit more consistent and get more whiffs with it. Uh, and in the meantime, he's just relying on a fantastic heater. Yep. And yeah, and pretty, you know, pretty good command. You know, he, he's got kind of a, an elaborate delivery that you ne- wouldn't necessarily expect him to, to spot the fastball as well as he as he does. But yeah, watching him last year, um, you know, he'd occasionally be wild and it wouldn't matter because he's just, you know, just blowing people away. But um, yeah, more often than not, he's uh, he's able to kind of locate it where he wants to, or at least, you know, roughly. So yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty, uh, pretty impressive group of, of three arms there. I'm not sure if anybody in baseball has, has, has a better group, although... Um, you know, you could argue if you're the the Padres, you got Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino, but yeah, yeah, I'm I I think I'm actually a little bit more excited for 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 these guys, uh, to be honest. I am too, although I I do love me some Mackenzie Gore. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah, and I'm sure yeah, you do sure. as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean that's where we're at. You know, we're gonna we're gonna see what these guys can do this year and uh, and how the Tigers bring them along. Um, to kind of move on to uh, just a little bit of discussion, like, do you have any uh, any favorites? Any sleeper picks for for Cy Young races that you want to want to drop on us? 
Oh, man. Aside from Boyd, um, let's see. I went with uh, Luis Castillo last year in the NL, and, uh, you know, he was good. Didn't work out, though. (laughs) That's not bad. I I think if I'm going to do a sleeper pick, maybe it'll be Darvish. You yeah, know what I mean that that's that second half was super legit. He made that change to some of his mechanics. Um, he tweaked something with his pitches and changed his utilization a little bit. I think he was a little more cutter heavy last year, and he put it all together. And I, I hate to rely too much on narrative, although you know some of some of the Nick jokingly calls me Alex Think Fast because I like to <laughs> talk about the the mental game a little bit. But like, I really think the fact that all this kind of came to light with Houston might have been a good thing for him to just kind of like bury the hatchet, you know, know that he was not in the wrong in that world series appearance where he got blown up and kind of heard about it for the entire off season before signing with the Cubs and then had a rough start with them. To me, he could be turning a new chapter and I've never been one to rely on him because of his volatility. But if that change that he made to his mechanics is legit, he's got the secondary stuff to finally put it all together. It could be a really fun year for him. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah, I'm a really big fan. I always really love this stuff. I mean, and you're right. I, you know, I, I pay attention to him on Twitter and, you know, he's always been a really good follow on Twitter and he did kind of get quiet for a year or two um, out there. And now all of a sudden you see him out there kind of joking about the Astro stuff. And it, it just feels like, yeah, a cloud has pa- has lifted for him a little bit. And totally all those sort of intangible things are so hard. You know, we've, we've already talked about some of them. Like, do you look at Daniel Norris's you know, core surgery and, you know, the drop in velocity and think like he's going to get it back. And, you know, does it mean anything that Boyd is a leader? Um, you know, all those things I know can be mushy to people who are really into data, but I still think you're, you're hurting yourself if you don't pay any attention to that stuff. You know, it's great to just crunch the data with none of that in mind, you know, make your conclusions there and then season with, you know, they're people. And the more I pay attention to the game and, and, you know, and, and the way it's played and, and talked about by the players, the more you see, you know, that, that it's not as codified as, as it might seem behind, you know, from behind your TV screen, you know, that these guys are are living it every day and uh, all the same problems that affect us all at work and everything else uh, all come up, you know, for them. Yeah, I mean, I think it looked no further than Manning today, right? He gave up that home run. And, like, imagine you did something that terrible at your own job. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? You're you're worried about what your bosses are going to think. You can't just immediately forget about it. So I, I agree 100% with what you said. Yeah, yeah, it's a trick. You know, another another really interesting thing that, that just took me aback the other day was that, um, I don't know if you saw Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer talking to CeCe Sabathia on that podcast. Yes. And yes. Talking about the fact that the Yankees didn't really have, you know, any of this data available to them under Larry Rothschild, which absolutely blew my mind. Couldn't believe that. Yeah, it's, you know, that first of all, that was a fantastic podcast, but it, that, it's going to be an interesting year for, for the Yankees and to see what happened now that... Um, uh, what's, what's his name? Of course, course. Uh, it is Rothschild, right? There was the, it was the old pitching coach who's now gone over to San Diego, right? Yeah, I think so. And then Matt Blake, I think it is, is the pitching coach. Yeah. Yep. 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 So it's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting year for them. There are, I mean, like you said earlier on, they're already getting tested because Jordan Montgomery went from starting in the minors to being their number four. And then, so it's going to be an interesting year for them. Unfortunately, I have many teams to throw against because they saw the Orioles and the Blue Jays who are going to be better, but uh, it'll be an interesting year for them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They've got all the stuff that went on with Debbie. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure. But uh, all I can ever say to the Yankees is that, you know, you guys screwed up in 2017. If you just would have traded for Justin Verlander, you guys probably have at least one World Series already. But no, had to keep Glaber Torres. Fine. Enjoy. Just had to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Oh man, uh, Alex, man, thanks a lot for coming on. It's been great talking to you. I could talk to you for uh, days and weeks about pitching, I'm sure. Um, so maybe we'll get a chance to do it again. <laughs> yeah, man, seriously, man, well, maybe we'll touch base over the course of the Tiger season when when it's looking like Matt Boyd's finally going to win that Cy Young, huh? Yep, we'll come on and we'll just gloat on your airwaves and you know have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I appreciate you reaching out and 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 thanks for having me. This was this was great. Uh, awesome. Yeah, everybody, please uh, please follow Alex Fast at twi- on Twitter and check out the pitcher list. You will thank us all later. Um, make that you know a regular stop along with fan graphs and wherever else you go to get your baseball information, and you will live a happier, more fulfilled life as a baseball fan and fantasy baseball player. Alex, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> you have a good night. Thank you. Appreciate it.